Welcome to NeuroNoodles, Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology Podcast featuring tech legend Jake Gunkelman. He is the man who has read well over a half a million brain scans. Our goal is to provide information and promote options for better mental health. The NeuroNoodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. Like our gold supporter, Applied Neuroscience, and our silver supporter, Mind Media. Earn up to 16 CEU hours by attending Applied Neuroscience's NeuroGuide Workshop March 4th and 5th in Madeira Beach, Florida. It's led by none other than Dr. Robert Thatcher himself. There are two ways you can attend, online or in person, with the link appliedneuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops. MindMedia, get the latest EEG and neurofeedback technology from mindmedia.com. Their semi-dry sensor cap is a wonder to see and their EEG amplifiers have been trusted in the field for decades. Their neurofeedback and QEG courses will get you up to speed in no time. Visit mindmedia.com now. Done. Yeah, it's their right to be an idiot, but it's it's damaging. And you know, well, you, you've you've seen them. I mean, they yeah they, they preposition and they come in for maximum force at at the base of the jaw and and base of the the skull. That that's the, the it's slapping their face, but they're basically yeah to, well. Well, here, let me let me turn let me share this again and just unfortunately watch this dumb thing. Um, let's see. Done. Done. <laughs> Done. Oh. And if you watched his head, Done. yeah, uh, it, it it basically Done. has a lateral uh, and vertical. Uh, uh, it kind of went up and and back, and that's that's essentially uh, putting all the cork into the brainstem. And uh, when that happens, uh, yeah. you, you end up with the the fencing position, which is actually uh, uh, something that goes back to in you know newborns. Uh, yeah. there, there's a reflex. Uh, it's a brainstem reflex, which is. Why you see it when you get the brainstem whacked like that? Well, they call um, it fencing because it's like the on guard position. Yeah, or... yeah, exactly. Okay. One one arm is extended, one arm is contracted, and you look towards the hand that's extended. So it's kind of a the on guard, you know, uh, position. Uh, but it, it it's it's elicited as a reflex in newborns. Okay. Uh, if you have a newborn laying on its back and you turn its head to one side, the the head to that side, that arm will go out, the other arm will come in. And it'll do that for about five weeks worth of uh, development. Beyond that, it starts to not work. Uh, it, it, if you have cortical overlay on top of the brainstem uh, that's working, you start to defeat the uh, the brainstem reflex, but when you're a newborn, they test all sorts of reflexes uh, uh, to to check uh, uh, levels of function in the brain and the uh, extent of development. Uh, the Babinski, where they they strike the 
the base of the foot to see if the toes go up or down. Um, uh, the, uh, the, the snouting reflex that if you push yeah. at the base of the nose, they go kind of, you know, yeah. uh, it's a snouting reflex. Uh, again, they turn the head to the side and they get the fencing reflex. And it's a, it's a tonic, uh, 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 reflex and it's seen in head injuries really commonly. There was a study in 2009 and, uh, they, they looked at, uh, at YouTube videos of people that were knocked out. And apparently there's a lot of them because yeah. they had a large N, you know, <laughs> uh, but, the uh, what the hell? The, the percentage that they had, two thirds of the people that were, that were knocked out ended up having a, a fencing reflex. Two thirds. So this is not a an uncommon or rare event, but it has to be a knockout. It can't be. This this isn't a concussion side effect. This this okay. is you've been knocked out. And so uh, if you look at the brain activity in somebody that has that kind of an injury, you end up seeing epileptiform discharges that the knockout itself has a gigantic discharge. And, uh, uh, the, you know, I, I hate that how they found out that they basically yeah. had animal studies where they, you know, whack uh, with a certain amount of force of various directions and so forth on uh, heads of dogs. Um, but they, they observe basically an epileptiform discharge uh, with a significant trauma. Um, uh, that said, it, if a child is hospitalized after a head injury, they have about a five to 10% chance of having status epilepticus within the first week of hospitalization. Um, and quite often they give a prophylactic um, uh, application of an anticonvulsant uh, with significant head injury. And with significant head injury, they, they put you into a barbiturate coma and wait for the brain to recover some uh, so that you don't waste energy on maintaining consciousness and uh, trying to you know, be active again uh, when your brain needs to use its resources basically to, to heal. So, so, so Jay, unfortunately the slap fighting thing is out there. And if you don't put it out there to let people know, Hey, when you see that fencing response, you better go get checked out. Right. Yeah. And the other thing is, I guess. And this isn't do... just Will Smith. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it's but it's happening that, in the schools. That that, that, that was a that was not uh, this uh, slap fighting. Uh, they're they're positioning themselves. They're getting the right angle and everything to do the maximum damage. This wasn't a a little yeah. Take your glove off and go slap slap. You know that right right. That this is the try to knock your opponent out with a with a slap in the side of the face. And if it if you don't knock them out and you continue slapping back and forth, you've seen the uh, damage yeah, to yeah. What's uh, the the droopy face all about? Uh, there's I'll put the picture up here later. But what's happening there? 
Uh, well, if you whap the side of your head, you've got the trigeminal nerve coming out of the socket where your jaw is, and that runs the face. And I don't know if you've ever seen anybody with uh, uh, an injury to that, but basically it looks like they've had a stroke on that side. Yeah. And um, you can also suffer stroke-like phenomenon with head injury, uh, um, post-traumatic ischemia. Uh, ischemia is a decrease in the, uh, of the availability of oxygen and glucose. And the because the brain swells, and it can't, I mean, it can't swell out. I mean, you know, some people right. get a swelled head, but it doesn't really swell. Um, uh, that it, it compresses. And that compression has to squeeze something. And the something is the blood vessels. So if you get a, well, you were a kid, you, you kinked the hose before, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, how, how, doesn't that kind of start to influence the flow? Uh, if you kink it totally, you can stop the, the, the hose at the other end that they were squirting you with, you know? So um, it, it, when you get enough pressure inside the head, it, it gives you post-traumatic ischemia. Migraine ischemia is a vascular headache. And the pounding headache after a head injury is an ischemic headache. It's not a migraine. Quite often, it'll be described as a migraine. Uh, uh, in fact, in the clinical setting, uh, people will you know, ask, do you have a history of headache? And if they say, yes, I've got migraine, I always ask, did it start after a head injury? Because that's not a migraine. That's post-traumatic ischemia. And the ischemia can last quite a, I mean, you can actually have long-term ischemia after a head injury uh, because you tried to put the area back online too early. Uh, um, if, uh, you know, the, the swelling is what's compressed the blood vessel. And if downstream, you're not getting as much flow and you create a big demand for, uh, for, for blood flow, and you, it can't get supplied, what you cause is hypoxia. Uh, uh, the, the, the level of oxygen uh, perfusion drops down, the PO2 drops down, and that causes hypoxia, which causes edema. Edema is more pressure. So if you put the area back to work too early before the vasculature is healed up, you can actually cause a worsening of the ischemia. If you keep doing it to your own detriment, glutamate cascade and cell death downstream happen, kind of like the downstream end of a stroke, the, the cell death that can end up happening due to the hypoxia, anoxia, glutamate cascade. And, and basically the cell, uh, uh, glutamate's an excitatory neurochemistry and the, the cell, uh, overexcites without the ability to have oxygen and it, it goes, it, it dies. So um, if you don't want to have cell death, and it's just as bad as it sounds, you know, I mean, yeah. cell death doesn't sound like a good option, no. you know, and it's not. Um, uh, that, that's why in a high school football game or a basketball game, if there's a concussion, you know, there's um, track, I mean, you, whatever sport there is, you can get whacked in the head. Even just running down the hall in school. I mean, pe people end up with head injuries. 
But after a head injury, you have to let the, the recovery occur or you can end up with permanent problems from it that are not retrievable. Cell death doesn't exactly sprout a bunch of new cells. I mean, the brain does end up having cells that will convert to new neurons. Um, it, it isn't like you can't recover function even after a stroke, but um, it, it's that, that, that's, that's a whole bunch of stuff you should avoid. You know? um, uh, uh, rest up after that uh, head injury and uh, the assessments that have to be done uh, have been you know, kind of underdone. Uh, it's nice to have a baseline uh, study. Uh, right. Some of them are just biobehavioral, a, a, a CPT task, you, you know, go, no go kind of a task. Basically to see if you've got omission errors or commission errors, what your reaction time is like, what the variability in your reaction time is like. And that, that information yeah, as a baseline then can be used to see whether the whack in the head has made you you know, unable to track stuff properly or respond badly or your, your reaction time's off. And uh, if you can't get a good CPT back after a head injury, you shouldn't be back on the field. And that, that, so, that's kind of a, a, a really, really super simple little screening. But yeah. there's, you know, having a baseline EEG, so if there's a really significant injury uh, that you can end up seeing when they should go back on the field um, after a more significant injury. One unfortunate sport is football. And is it true or not that you get hit in the front and your brain sloshes to the back? And when that sloshes back there, that's where the problems come from. And in this case, this is a side to side. And I don't know if you're ready for some bad art, but what is the difference between getting hit front on and then side to side? Actually, uh, brains that twist with a side. The, the, you saw his head. It wasn't just that it went like like some Egyptian yeah, yeah. move, you know, to the side. It went to the side and twisted. And the, the torsional force ends up tearing neurons. It, the, it, in the brain, you have some neurons that are very long, uh, the longitudinal fasciculus, uh, superior and inferior longitudinal fasciculus. Um, uh, the connections between the hemispheres uh, that go through the corpus callosum all the way from one side, all the way to the other side of the brain. The longer the pathway is, the more likely it's going to be tear torn if things twist. If you've got a little tiny pathway, it's going to kind of move with it. But if you've got a long pathway and it gets twisted, if you, the brain does not like stretch. And if you stretch a neuron... Uh, yeah, the the myelin uh, ends up not uh, liking it. You can end up having uh, uh, the the cells die. Um, and if you kill a white matter cell, it, it isn't the only one to go. Uh, um, there's a retrograde degeneration. Cells that were hooked to that cell that were part of a network. That net that that cell going will kill off other cells that were associated with it, and that takes sometimes six months to a year for all of those other cells to all you know finally degrade. So uh, you can see progressive loss of, of function with with serious uh, head injuries, and 
in a concussion, uh, if it's just gray matter, you're not really dealing with these white matter cracks, but a more serious head injury has more white matter involvement. Uh, um, Dr. Thatcher uh, did a very nice study uh, in the 19, uh, excuse me, the 1997 uh, publication. Uh, and he was congratulated by it, uh, by Dr. Neuer, of all people, for uh, the quality of the additional research uh, um, knowledge for traumatic brain injury. He did a quantitative MRI, which looked at gray matter and white matter quantitatively, and quantitative EEG correlation, and found that if it's gray matter injury, it's alpha and beta that's influenced. If it's white matter that's injured, it's slow waves. So uh, uh, basically what more, most people would consider delta, but it can be rhythmic slow and be considered theta. And if you uh, look in the um, traumatic brain injury discriminant, the severity index, half of the metrics in it are delta and theta. If you look at the determination of mild traumatic brain injury, there's only one theta metric. Everything else is alpha and beta. But they're they're deliberately not looking for serious in, head injuries because it's a mild traumatic brain injury uh, uh, discriminant. If, if it's a serious injury, it's, it's not appropriate to run it. And it requires a normal EG. And with a serious head injury, your EG is quite often not normal. Uh, it, it takes time to, uh, uh, to recover and to have a normal EG. So this poor guy that got slapped and he went down, what happened... Like he, he was knocked out. He came, he got consciousness again. Obviously he's getting care. What, what are the steps that are going on there to, to make sure there isn't further damage and then to assess the damage? If you're dealing with something where somebody has had head injury and they've been knocked out, uh, it's appropriate to end up having medical testing. Um, the, the thing you want to rule out for sure is a bleed. Now, I'm not talking about a, a little bit of blood product in the brain from a, a little micro tears or something. We're, I'm, I'm talking about uh, a subdural hematoma, an epidural hematoma, uh, a subarachnoid. I mean, the, depending upon where the bleed is, a subdural hematoma, you can actually live for a significant period of time. Some people get them and they're there chronically. Uh, an epidural, that's, um, or a subarachnoid, you're, you're basically, you've got hours, if that. Uh, uh, so uh, um, if you're knocked out in the ring, basically, in boxing or MMA, uh, uh, they, they basically are, uh, usually they get together enough to stand up and, and stagger out with the crew, uh, but they they're they're taken by ambulance to a hospital and they're scanned. And is it is it an MRI CAT scan? Like what's the, what do you what's the... uh, and, and in fact, it's neuroimaging. Uh, ideally, uh, an MRA can be done. Uh, magnetic uh, resonance angiography, which is an MRI with a different kind of software to analyze it. It's the same kind of image. It's just you know, done for a different purpose with the, the physicist who's playing with the image ends up uh, uh, looking deeper in the brain uh, at the, uh, down at the brain stem, the circle of Willis. 
that allows the, the, the blood vessels uh, that come up, the carotid on one side of your neck and the carotid on the other side, and the vertebral basilars coming up the back of your, your neck, they all end up having a, a circle that they uh, end up going into uh, of communicating arteries, little pieces, but it's called the circle of Willis as an entire group. And that that basically, uh, if you have a, a bleed that deep in the brain, they better find it quick <laughs> because a bleed into the brainstem is, is not going to take long to take you out. Uh, if they catch it really, really quickly, uh, they, they can save your life. You know, so with distinct loss of consciousness in a sport or in an injury, an accident, uh, falling down a stair, uh, whatever. If you if you've been knocked out, it's time to be evaluated. Now, sometimes you go to the hospital and they'll they'll check you out and they'll decide that this was a, a little too minor. Uh, the loss of consciousness was uh, a very brief. Um, uh, there's no uh, sequelae, some uh, after effect. Um, uh, dizziness, uh, nausea, et cetera, et cetera. They, if they don't see evidence of a concussion, even though there was some uh, head trauma, that head trauma and brain trauma aren't the same thing. You know, you, you can hit my head, but if my brain doesn't bounce around somehow, that's a head trauma, not a brain trauma. Um, but even what looks like a fairly minor blow to the head sometimes can have the brain twist um, or uh, uh, bump into a, a structure that uh, can tear a blood vessel. And at that point, you've got problems. He get, he got hit on the right side of the face. Is there any difference being to get the trauma on the right side of the head versus the left? Or it's the same twisting? It doesn't matter. Uh, it's, it's the same twisting. It's entirely possible to have a, a brain bleed even at a distant location if the brain has moved. It's, you know, blood vessels don't like to be stretched and torn either. And um, uh, if you have a direct concussion from the uh, uh, a deceleration injury, uh, the brain actually goes forward and then backward. And because something, you know, they're, they're going together and this stops, the brain's going to keep going and, and hit forward. There's a lining, be uh, the dura matter between the, the hemispheres is called the falx cerebri. And the falx cerebri uh, in an infant is soft and pliable and flexible. And by the time they're our age, it's, it's like shoe leather. Uh, and it, it, if your brain moves forward and hits this very tough membrane, uh, you can end up having uh, the anterior connections between the right and left hemispheres damaged and decrease the relationship mathematically between function right and left frontally uh, cor uh, uh coherence uh it, barry sturman uses co-modulation which is more like a correlation uh, coherence is a little bit more complex than a simple correlation that guy that got whacked he's probably in his 20s 30s i would think his brain is more developed than the kids that in school are doing this unfortunately if you're in school and your brain's not mature and you get that slapping and then the twisting, is there a different type of damage that can happen when you're younger versus older? A couple of things. When you're younger, uh, you actually tolerate uh, 
uh, trauma in a, a better way than somebody who's aged. Now, somebody in their 30s isn't really aged, uh, but as you start to get older and your brain has a little bit of atrophy, uh, there's more room to bounce around and twist around in there. And the brain shouldn't be twisting and shouting. That's an old, you know, the old dance thing, but this is not what the brain should be doing in there. In elderly people that have had their head hit need to be checked even more carefully. Uh, uh, they, they end up having a high probability of a bleed. Uh, um, uh, my father slipped and fell, went back to Fargo for Thanksgiving and slipped and fell. And uh, they went, you know, he, he got his eyebrows stitched up and they x-rayed his shoulder and arm. Uh, but uh, nothing was obviously wrong, but they didn't see Tia's head. And uh, uh, he was back in Arizona near Christmas time, just before Christmas. And, um, you know, football season going on. And I, I, I called and to chat and, you know, he, he was having trouble understanding me and he couldn't really speak fluently. And, you know, I learned to speak from this guy. So he was a real blabbermouth and he wasn't able to put words together. And I'm starting to think Wernicke's area, Broca's area, what part of the brain's involved and what's going on. And at first I thought he must have had a stroke. But then I realized, oh, God, he fell Thanksgiving time weeks ago. This is a subdural hematoma and it's gigantic. And, you know, I, I had him put my mother on the phone. I told her, yeah, I'm writing an email, print it, take it with you to the ER. And I got a call about an hour or so later. And uh, she said, the doctor wants to speak with you. Here's a phone number. So I, I dialed the phone number and it's the hospital switch, switchboard. They patched me through to his headset in surgery. They're draining 160 something cc's uh, uh, about the size of a fist out from inside of his head. And there's not that much room in there. Mm -hmm. um, the CT scans uh, from there basically showed a two centimeter deviation of the midline. All the ventricles were collapsed. Uh, he, he bare, I've seen people with, with a, a subdural hematoma a third that size die from it. I've never seen anyone recover from one that size. And the, the neurosurgeon wanted to know, how do you diagnose a subdural hematoma on the phone? <laughs> I said, well, you don't use an MRI or a CT scan, obviously. You know, this is a parlor trick. I, you know, I, I hang out with neuroscience folks. and I'm, This was a good guess. He says, good guess. I could have drilled the holes to drain this sucker you know, based on your email and, and not done anything different than I did with the CT scan. You told me exactly where and what size and everything this was going to be. He, uh, so he sent me the images and uh, 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 after the drainage. And then the next day, uh, there was a little bit more fluid, a little more blood. And um, he put in a shunt, uh, a hematoma shunt. Um and uh, they wheeled him from the surgery to implant the shunt to the x-ray uh, to show the shunt in place. And uh, that image was sent straight to me the same time as it was sent to the doctor. And 
I, I'm looking at the image. I can't, I can't, you know, I expect to see some long line or a, or a donut circle with, with one of these transsections. And it, they're just not there. So, Jay, the, the poor soul that got knocked out, he went to the hospital, I'm guessing, to get a scan. And let's just say they didn't find a bleed. But he, you say he has a two-thirds chance of getting a concu concussion because he got knocked out. It, it, yeah. And at that point, they may not have a bleed. But if the brain is slightly swelled, they have ischemia. And that's the pounding headache. And... Uh, it's dysfunction. It, it's almost like having a small stroke. It's a small vessel ischemia, not a large vessel ischemia. But you can have difficulty finding words. You can have difficulty with comprehension. You can have difficulty with perception and memory, uh, uh, confusion. Uh, uh, all, all of those kinds of things can happen with a, with a simple concussion as yeah. though there's anything such as that. And the difficulty is, you can imagine a tinker toy network of connections, and you you hit the head, and, and a couple of the little spokes or hubs have been damaged. Well, you can route around it, you know. You you can put yourself back together functionally. Have a second or a third head injury, start to chip away at. If you lose a couple of what's called rich club hubs. Um, important intersections where a lot of networks are tapped together. If you lose one of those, it's really difficult to put together the function that you've lost. Uh, sometimes virtually impossible without specialized, in, you know, interventions. So, um, a, a post-concussion uh, headache is an indication of significant ischemia. And if that's the case, rest, 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 rest. And also, uh, um, uh, lecithin and vitamin E are important. Um, uh, they, they help with uh, uh, cell membranes. Uh, you, uh, you don't want to end up um, having a, a, a poor diet, uh, starving your body of some of the nutrients that it needs for some of the healing that's going to happen. But it takes time, uh, you know, um, uh, with a concussion, um, uh, you have to s think seriously about whether you're uh, setting yourself up for major problems if you put yourself into the same situation again. And, and in sports, repeated head injury, how many times does a lineman get slapped upside the head? Well, pretty much every play, you know, right. uh, first move, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, so th there's, you know, hundreds, no, 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 probably thousands of head injuries, uh, some of which may be, you know, uh, enough to have given them a bit of a concussion. And um, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, CTE, uh, has, has been... Uh, um, you know, popularized uh, with, with a movie uh, about it, uh, it being discovered as a pathology in chronic injuries in sports. And what a controversial uh, circumstance. I mean, a, a, a bazillion dollar sport uh, that, right. that really would just as soon do what it's been doing and not have to think about these things uh, ends up having to respond 
in a in a healthful way in a sport that's inherently dangerous and unhealthy in some way. So, um, you know, so it's a fun. Earn up to 16 CEU hours by attending Applied Neuroscience's NeuroGuide Workshop March 4th and 5th in Madeira Beach, Florida. It's led by none other than Dr. Robert Thatcher himself. There are two ways you can attend, online or in person, with the link appliedneuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops. Online. Uh, in that incident, Jay, there's you wouldn't do a uh, a concussion protocol, would you? Because you see that stance. Yeah. It's would you do? Is there any yeah. way somebody could go back into a game after they've had the? No. Yeah, no. you're right. No. So that's that's so that's a brainstem hit. Uh, and so, that, so that's anybody not, sees that, it's like you don't need to know anything else. Don't don't go back in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is a do not pass go. You know, this this is this goes straight straight to the hospital. Right, right, right. Uh, so if this poor guy wants to go back and get slapped around again, what <laughs> what are they going to check to say? Okay, if you want to do it, you can go back and do it. What's the time frame? What are the what are well? They even in boxing, if you've been knocked out, there's a protocol in boxing. You have there's a certain amount of time, and you've got to go through some special examinations and whatnot in order to get you know, certified to be able to go back in and get your head beat in again. So, uh, you know, uh, it, but it's inherently dangerous. And uh, the the people who sponsor MMA are sponsoring these slap fights uh, right. at this point as a, as a sport. Well, geez, what the hell kind of sport is slapping somebody? I mean, um, apparently it's a popular sport. Um <laughs> uh, and and again, you get kids who don't know um, the nature right. of of the damage that they can cause. It's not just getting a red face; uh, you can lose an eye, as a as as, as a, a simple thing, you know, just a, a real simple thing, losing an eye. And let me tell you, losing an eye is not inconsequential, you know. <laughs> I mean, uh, 3D is really nice, and it goes kind of 2D on you without the second eye. Especially um, if you're reading EEG scans a half a million times. Yeah, uh, well, luckily I still got the one that still works, you know. And and EEG is not 3D, is 2D, you know. So, uh, well, people are going to say, you know, why are you promoting this sport? And it, it's not promoting the sport as much to me as it is. Hey, look. Whatever it takes for people to watch to say, look, this is something serious to to know, like teaching somebody what a stroke looks like. Okay, here's a concussion. This is what it looks like. It's a dumb sport. Don't advise it. Kids are doing it in school. If any kids see somebody get knocked out like that, tell somebody it's it's serious. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if you've had a brainstem trauma. And that's a brainstem reflex that they elicit the fencing. Again, uh, that's uh, without the cortical influence and a brainstem insult, you end up looking towards the arm that's extended, kind of like you'd be looking towards the person that you were sticking your 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 sword at, and the other arm is is pulled in, like you have the other arm pulled in, uh, not waving around when you're when you're fencing. So it's appropriately described as a fencing posture, 
Um, but again, this is a reflex. It's a brainstem reflex. And if you've had a brainstem insult, it's time to be checked. This isn't a, a, a subtle thing. The brainstem has um, uh, things like maintaining respiration, uh, 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 foundational regulatory systems. So you can't be damaging the brainstem without potentially having long-term really serious consequences. Is the term posturing, like what's the difference between a fencing response and then posturing? Well, po posturing can be lo lots of things. Uh, if you've, if you've had your cortex uh, whacked, you can end up having rigidity, uh, not with, without necessarily having the fencing position, but just rigidity. And that's decorticate rigidity. And, you know, you've, uh, if, if you whack the brain, um, uh, glia uh, can end up essentially having a spreading depression and shut things down. And, um, it, you know, it's a, a temporary unconsciousness because the glia basically pulled the plug on brain activity. Uh, uh, if, if the glia uh, creates an electro-positive uh, potential in the basal membrane of your cortex, that cortex area is shut off. And if it goes electronegative, it's on. So a, a whack basically uh, ends up uh, having things uh, go uh, 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 calcium wave, basically, uh, electropositive. Uh, that, that's a, 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 what's called a spreading depression uh, when the spot that's hit, that, that it spreads from that spot to, across the cortex. He comes out of it. He runs the risk later in life to have, you know, is it plaque buildup or what? Let's let's assume that that he's uh, been hit enough to end up with a concussion on top of his brainstem twitch that he had that that put him out. Um, ischemia uh, ends up uh, uh, having its own appearance in the brain. It's not it's not healthy. Uh, uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy uh, has local ischemia to the point where the cells in the area have died and you end up with necrosis that you know if you've ever seen That's the scans good. kind of a brown black rot in an area of a brain that should be kind of pinkish it's it's really not healthy um deliberately getting yourself knocked out isn't exactly um a deliberately good sport but like i say i people do things that are sporting. Uh, I, I raced motorcycle with sidecar. Right. You know, you've got to be crazy to do that. I have to admit, um, <laughs> that's one of the most dangerous things you can do. Um, it, uh, it, it can end up going, you know, uh, cartwheeling with a motorcycle and sidecar kind of forming a triangle with right, people right. flying off in every direction. And, you know, uh, uh, if you turn to the right, you can't lean into the turn because the motorcycle sidecar is there. And that guy's got to lean way out to give you the counterbalance so you can turn to the right. Uh, jumping around on a platform uh, on a motorcycle racing next to other people who are doing the same foolish thing is pretty dangerous stuff. So, so Jay, let's just say there's no MRI and all there was was Jay Gunkelman and his uh, Nexus 32 channel headset. Would the swelling 
get in the way for you to read the scan or like what do you think you would see yeah, on in fact, ischemia is really easily identifiable. Um, uh, critical care medicine uh, has actually declared uh, QEG to be uh, sensitive and uh, 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 helpful for looking at ischemia, uh, identifying the ischemia, tracking the therapeutic change in the ischemia. Uh, and uh, ischemia is essentially seen as the slow edge of the alpha band usually starting to intrude into the theta frequency band, um, depending upon exactly how fast your alpha was. But the slow edge of alpha ends up being the, the indication of ischemia. If there's white matter damage and that's a severe injury, you'll have the slow edge of alpha from the ischemia and a slow focus uh, where the white matter has been damaged. And the EEG is very sensitive uh, to, to the uh, occurrence of uh, traumatic brain injury. Um, it, it's not uh, necessarily specific, however. And uh, that, that ends up being part of the uh, arguments in court. And of course, an adversarial circumstance, not a, it's not a science right. circumstance, it's adversarial. And, uh, you know, people argue back and forth about whether the EG is showing one thing or another and uh, whether you should right. be doing it at all. Uh, but uh, that, that's court. Um, if, if you're actually uh, uh, worried about your kid or your uh, uh, parent, um, an EG ends up being a useful measurement of brain function. It can identify the ischemia. It can track the progress of therapies. Now, if you've had a head injury and you've got post-traumatic ischemia, one of the very, very helpful things is hyperbaric oxygen. You know, ischemia is an inability to deliver oxygen and glucose. Well, you can take care of the oxygen by getting into a hyperbaric, it's a 1.3 atmospheres of pressure with, with oxygen. And at that point, oxygen doesn't have to go along a bloodstream to get into a cell. It's perfusing directly through your tissue. Once it's inside you, it, 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 it basically perfuses directly through tissue. So it doesn't have to flow. It invades cell to cell to cell. It, it ends up uh, basically helping uh, heal uh, the ischemic area uh, by providing appropriate level of oxygen uh, to the area. The brainstem injury, the twisting, what... Uh... What do you think would be a symptom that would happen that neurofeedback could help correct that uh, to create a new pathway? Because, I mean, brainstem, that's way back there. What, you got the cerebellum back there? And uh, what, what, what can neurofeedback do to help if you, you see something on the EEG? In, in, in fact, if the EEG shows a, a deviation, the EEG can op be operatively trained uh, uh, if you can teach a dog to sit, you can teach the brain to make more or less of a rhythm. It's it's, it's simple operant uh, training. Now, there's there's some uh, benefit to just providing feedback. Systems theory uh, tells you that if you provide feedback in a system, the system can then self-regulate and change state. And uh, and you know there's. There's some behaviors during the training and neurofeedback that behave like systems theory would predict a sudden change of some sort. 
but there's a lot of it that looks quite awkward. And uh, uh, the the classic training with Sturman uh, and uh, Camilla was was more of an operant approach than uh, systems theory. That's for sure. I can't wait to see what the next sport that comes out, Jay, that sheds some light on mental health awareness. <laughs> Remember the Three Stooges would do the eye poke. Maybe that'll be the next one, you know? So. <laughs> well, it's, the, the clinicians and the neurologists are going to keep keep busy with this one. Um, yeah, unfortunately. you know, And the, the kid things on YouTube that they pick up are, are something, the, the sunflower seizure... Yeah. Um, What's where, a sunflower where, seizure? Uh, um, they, they take their, they look at the sun, which is not really a good thing in the first place, but then they move their fingers back and forth like the petals on a sunflower okay. and the flickering light. Some have seizures. And so the, they, because this is a thing on YouTube to, to do the sun, sun, you know, look at the sun and flash yeah, your fingers yeah. in front of it. And some kids have a seizure. Uh, they've actually coined the term sunflower seizures in in the EEG tech world uh, and in uh, epileptology. It's not uh, it's not a historic term that's been around a long time. It's a new term that came out because of a a YouTube you know it huh. uh, increase in the number of uh, photo induced uh, photo flash induced seizures. So, yeah. so anyway. they, they they drop and they seize and then you just it yep. takes time to yep it's you've just triggered a seizure and you know some people photo flash will uh, create a, a seizure but not that many uh in a in a lab the photic photic stimulation is considered an activator for seizures but you only get a four percent additional yield above and beyond the, the base eyes open eyes closed eeg uh, if you want to evoke a higher incidence or high probability of seeing a seizure discharge in somebody that's known to have a seizure, uh, you, you can sleep deprive them. And when, when you've been sleep deprived, you're, you didn't recover from the wear and tear of the day before. And you're also in and out of levels of consciousness in transitional states, not wide awake, not all the way asleep. Transitional states, transients in the ED tend to happen. You're not in one stable state. You're not in another stable state. And in between, the discharges tend to occur. And you can train that symptom away as well. It's just going to be a lot of training. Uh, well, uh, yeah. You, you it can, depends. Uh, yeah. Everybody's got their own learning curve, you know. Yeah. Um, but there's a basic learning curve for the EG. It's a it's considered a fifth-order learning curve. Um uh, and let me do a little bit of really bad art here. Ah, I've been waiting for this bad art, Jay. So we, we've got um, uh, amplitude, and let's let's say we're doing an alpha training, and the person's got a certain level of alpha, and then this is time, and time is multiple sessions or multiple hours, uh, and, and what you see is that there's an initial increase and then there's a decrease and then there's an increase and then there's an exponential increase. This is habituation. I mean, you walked in the door, you might have normally been here at home, chilled out, 
But you walked in the door, there's a guy with a white coat, you know, the whole white coat effect. Um, uh, they're, they're putting electrodes on your head. The last thing you remember about that was like some Frankenstein movie with sparks flying off of things. So, you know, your, your alpha is a little lower than it might have been if you were just chilling out. And you get used to the white coat and the funny electrodes and paste. And that habituation to the experimental setting is an increase. And people that did very brief studies showed this nice statistical increase. But people that did studies a little longer started to have a difficult time replicating the alpha training effect. But this is active volition. I'm trying hard to relax. Well, like that doesn't even make sense, you know, come on. Um, you can't try hard to do something like alpha. And eventually they learn passive volition, kind of the, the giving up to make it happen. And then when they really get that and they recruit lots and lots of, of, of alpha, there's an exponential increase in the alpha at the end. This is the basis of Jim Hart's PhD dissertation in 1974 out of Camille's lab. And, you know, it, 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 they showed uh, basically this to be uh, multiple hours. Um, um, and we took the same data back to our lab in North Dakota and looking at patients who, now this is a normal person in a training, patients take longer. Uh, but they, they already knew patients took longer because in Germany, uh, uh, four hours of training on slow cortical potentials, a normal person can gain good control of it. Uh, an epileptic takes 40 hours, not four. So what we were finding wasn't three and a half, four hours like uh, Jim Hart's data with normal folks, basically. Well, university people, how normal is that? I, I you know, that, that, that's another talk entirely. But um, we had clinical patients at a state hospital and it was taking us about 14 hours. And, um, you know, so it, it, it takes longer if, if you're not already doing fairly well in the first place, it takes longer to, to end up with this level of control. But you follow the same shape of the learning curve. It just takes longer. Everything anyway, you want to know about slap boxing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not even boxing. It's not even fighting. It's stand there and get knocked out if the the people that don't necessarily get knocked out end up having such destruction to their uh, face i mean the tissue swells outside here too not just inside and the the that they got like two sides of a face over here and one side on the other side it was all swelled out the eyes swelled shut uh, black and blue you know it's this this is um, more damage than you see in MMA. In MMA, you're putting up, you know, yeah, deflecting okay. things and ducking. You're not standing there stoically waiting for somebody to whap you. Um, I, I, it, it, it's kind of sub-sport. It's not even sporting. The person's no. not defending themselves. They're not running. <laughs> They're not hiding, you know. No, they're just standing there, and you well, know, I, I believe you're only supposed to use the fingers. You get the palm in there, and then lights out. It's yeah, and you saw the guy positioning where he was going to hit. Uh, yeah, his, uh, the 
<laughs> the this caught that. <laughs> so that's not good. No, no. And what you saw his head up and twist and and the 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 twist torque in the brain. You know, it's not the same exact, but if you're shot in the head, the chances of recovery are almost non-existent if it goes side, you know, through the midline. If it stays in the same hemisphere, you have a chance of recovery. Uh, 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 Giffords. Um, uh, I, I grew up with a kid who ended up uh, attempting suicide with a, a gun stuck in his mouth and he, he blew his eye and part of his frontal lobe uh, and, and got rid of his depression by pulling his frontal lobe away, yeah. I I saw him in the state hospital. I said, "Geez, hi, I, you know, long time, you know, a uh, 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 high school friend." And uh, uh, here he is with one eye, you know, uh, 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 all patched out like this. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, and um, but uh, um, you, you know, he recovered. But people that end up having something shot that goes through the midline. Uh, the recovery rate on that is essentially non-existent. Well, Jay Galkelman, thank you for another great uh, NeuroNoodle podcast. We will hopefully we explained what happened. We don't condone it, but we do want you to recognize the the, the warning signs, especially for the kids in in school. Um, so be. Be careful out there, folks. That's right. And on Zoom, no matter how upset Pete gets with me, he can't slap me, you see. so <laughs> I have to wait till Sioux Sun City <laughs> in October. That's right. This October. Yeah. That's right. Well, you Martin know. Arns. It, uh, Arns and Dirk DeRitter, too. And Dirk, and, yep. Uh, AI implants in the brain. I mean, there's, there's going to be some interesting discussion. Uh Dirk DeRitter actually invented pulse mode or burst mode stimulator. Uh, when they invent new implantable stimulators, he's on, he's with the implant engineers because he's the one who's wanting stuff implanted. And he's been trying to uh, make the implants more and more and more like the brain itself. And uh, that's why he would like to have an AI chip on the implant uh, so that instead of having to pre-program uh, a fixed uh, a chip discharge pattern, it can actually learn what the brain is doing and, and uh, adapt appropriately. So anyway, there is a lot of advanced stuff. So <laughs> we'll put uh, all the information here. October, Sioux Sun City. See you there. All right, Jay Gunkelman. Thank you, buddy. Bye. The NeuroNoodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. Like our gold supporter, Applied Neuroscience, and our silver supporter, Mind Media. Earn up to 16 CEU hours by attending Applied Neuroscience's NeuroGuide workshops. In Madeira Beach, Florida, they're led by none other than Dr. Robert Thatcher himself. There are two ways you can attend, online or in person, with the link appliedneuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops. Earn up to 16 CEU hours. Sign up now at appliedneuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops. 
Mind Media. Get the latest EEG and neurofeedback technology from mindmedia.com. Their semi-dry sensor caps is a wonder to see, and their EEG amplifiers have been trusted in the field for decades. Their neurofeedback and QEG courses will get you up to speed in no time. Visit mindmedia.com now.